This ADN Politics Podcast is brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible. From the Anchorage Daily News, this is ADN Politics, a podcast navigating Alaska's changing and sometimes wild political landscape. I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. Ballots are still being counted in the Anchorage election, but so far, results are looking good for those who support the current Assembly majority and not so good for those who support Conservative Mayor Dave Bronson's agenda. The day after the first round of election results came out, it was announced that the mayor's chief of staff, Adam Trombley, resigned, joining a long list of other departures from the administration. Today, I'm joined by ADN reporters Emily Goodykunz and Zachariah Hughes to talk about the election results, the resignation, and what it all might mean. Emily, Zach, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. I want to back up a little and talk about the tone of this election cycle in Anchorage. Emily, you spoke with a lot of different candidates as they were campaigning. What did they have to say about how they were approaching things this year? This year, we actually saw something pretty interesting, which was that candidates across the political spectrum were hearing the same thing from voters and from voters also across the political spectrum that they are tired of drama in city politics. They're really tired of the political toxicity and infighting we've seen between the Assembly's majority and Mayor Dave Bronson's administration. So that meant that conservative candidates were attempting to distance themselves from the mayor in most races, although a couple were endorsed by the mayor, even though they may have had a personal relationship with the mayor or he had supported their campaign events. In some of their messaging, they were really trying to step back from the administration. And what about for the candidates who are more aligned with the assembly? Among the independent, moderate to progressive leaning candidates, we also saw them hearing that message from voters and really trying to balance these two kind of different ideas that they need to continue to put a strong check on the mayor, his administration, hold him accountable, but also leave some of the bitterness of the past behind and really try to focus on solutions and and move the city forward. So we saw them take a step back from more party line political messaging. And just, Emily, broadly, what was at stake in this year's city election? Well, there are seven different assembly seats up for election this year. That's over half of the assembly. And uh, what we've seen over the past few years is a strong assembly majority that's moderate to progressive. And they've had a really strong check on the conservative Bronson administration. So there's a push from candidates who are more conservative, who say they want to bring balance to the assembly and just get more conservatives elected. And then there's some more, again, moderate to progressive leaning candidates who want to continue in the same vein of work that the assembly majority has been doing. And Zach, there was one interesting element in this year's election that you covered more in depth, and that would be this very early stage idea to use a recreation center as a homeless shelter. And that became a point of contention between the mayor and assembly member Felix Rivera, who was running for re-election. Can you give us just a very high level summary of what happened there? 
in a lot of ways, it follows a template we've seen when it comes to homeless issues in Anchorage, which is shelters proposed and then uh, a group of neighbors of conservative activists kind of organize against it and rally against it. What happened with the Arctic Rec Center, though, was a little bit interesting just because of how accelerated that was. Uh, in, in previous iterations of this same dynamic, you know, when it comes to like the Golden Lion and some other facilities, you know, it's been a process of months of opposition and the proposal getting politicized. This happened almost before it was real. I mean, the Arctic Rec Center was barely a notion of you know, being converted from a recreation center that's owned by a church in town that had put it up for sale. And the assembly had just started kind of solidifying, you know, maybe we should ask for funding for this. And like that, the mayor's office really turned this into an election issue. Um, it happened as ballots were just about out in the election. And the mayor's office really tried to tie this to uh, incumbent Midtown member Felix Rivera and say this was his proposal, that he wants to do this. Uh, they had a, a town hall listening session. They used their social media platform to really rally people. And so just really quickly, what was a pretty early policy proposal to have a new homeless shelter turned into an election issue. And yeah, it really put Rivera on the defensive and became kind of a rhetorical point in this year's election cycle. And did that end up influencing the election results in the Midtown District? It appears not to have. Uh, Rivera has a pretty wide margin over his rival, uh, Travis Santo, who's a self-styled conservative running with a lot of support from the Bronson uh, administration and some of the same people. But Rivera's got a wide margin. That'll probably close as more results come in. It's important to say we're still at kind of an early phase with how many ballots have been processed. But Rivera kind of handily seems to have uh, won his third term. And Frankly, that surprised a lot of people. The Midtown race was one that was seen as uh, potentially flippable for conservatives and picking up a seat. Part of that has to do with the way the boundaries were redrawn in that district. Uh, it got a little bit purpler because of the way the boundary lines were redrawn in redistricting a year or two ago. And so a lot of people were looking at this as maybe a flippable seat, but that appears not to have worked. And Zach, you were tracking campaign fundraising at various stages in the election. A fair amount of money came in on both sides, including in some last-minute donations. What were some of your takeaways on that front? Uh, there's just a lot more money in assembly races than there used to be. big part of that is a federal court ruling from 2021 that struck down campaign contribution limits. They used to be $500. So, you know, a, a given person could only donate $500 a year to a given candidate. Uh, 2022 was the first year where that was not in play, and we saw unprecedented spending in uh, assembly races. One race grossed almost half a million dollars for an East Anchorage race that got like under 30% turnout. So just a lot of money pouring in. And this year was not quite at that level. You don't have the same number of people kind of chipping in. However, there were a couple of individuals who spent a lot of money on individual candidates. I'm thinking of one donor, John Ellsworth Jr., who's one of the owners of the Anchorage Wolverines hockey team and owns an oil field services company. In March alone, he donated $17,000 to conservative candidates. A lot of those were in $5,000 chunks. So that's 10 times the previous contribution limit. You also have independent expenditure groups that have really kind of gotten into the race. They've always been around, either, you know, funded by kind of union PAC money, but also conservative donor networks. So this year, one of the big ones on the conservative side was Families of the Last Frontier. They got a $25,000 donation from an out-of-state businessman from Delaware, a bunch of other local donors, not all of them in Anchorage, some of them kind of statewide. And so they were players in this. So a lot more money. Um, this year, but a lot of it coming from a kind of core of wealthy donors. Despite that, however, the early returns ended up looking 
pretty darn good for assembly candidates that were aligned with the current assembly majority. Emily, I'm curious, what stuck out to you about the race results we're seeing so far? All of these kind of more or less aligned with the assembly majority candidates have really wide margins. On election day, we saw really big margins across All the races except for one in Eagle River where the conservative candidate was ahead, but that was expected. One of the things that did strike me is that there was a perception that a couple of these races were going to be pretty close. They appeared very competitive and, you know, some campaigns were a bit concerned about which way they would go. And that's particularly in West Anchorage and in South Anchorage. And what we saw there was surprising. We saw candidate Anna Brawley come in with a very large lead over her opponent, Brian Flynn. And we saw Zach Johnson in South Anchorage also have a very healthy lead over his conservative opponent. And Zach, as things stand now on Thursday afternoon, you've been speaking to folks. Do political observers think any of these conservative candidates who are behind have a chance of catching up? Nope. We do see some vote results shift as more votes are counted, and and there are many more votes to count. However, the leads are so large at this point, it would be highly unlikely that any of those races would change. I think the one most likely to, maybe South Anchorage, um, we see a lot more conservatives voting later in the election and on election day. Um, However, Zach Johnson, I believe, um, is about... 10 points ahead of Rachel Reyes at this yeah, point. Those are, we should say, I mean, these aren't, you know, enormous margins, but in local elections, those those do constitute pretty clear advantages. Um, and that 10-point spread in the South Anchorage race, that's like the closest. I mean, there's others where mm-hmm. it's, we're talking 20 points. So as more ballots come in, right. even if they tilt more conservative, which is what a lot of people expect, because mm-hmm. conservatives in Anchorage still prefer to vote in person and kind of on election day, it's very unlikely that there'll be enough votes to close those gaps. And I, I believe it was even one of the campaign managers who managed some of the campaigns who said, yeah, you know, a shift of two two to five points. Yes. Very likely. But the spreads that came in initially, I've heard conservative commentators on this say insurmountable. And most of them are, you know, saying, I hope it shifts. I hope it changes. But even they really think that, you know, the results we saw on Tuesday night are going to be the ones that holds as all of the ballots have been processed. And there was in the North Anchorage district downtown, that race was pretty decisive even on Tuesday, on Election Day. Chris Conson had a 42-point lead. So that's pretty indicative of the way that district is going to go. All right, well, let's take a short break there. And when we're back, we'll talk about some of the reactions to the results so far. At Steam.Coffee, we're proud to support great journalism and we're proud of our pursuit of great coffee. We search the world for the finest raw materials and then roast them to perfection at our Anchorage headquarters, all with one thing in mind, the finest coffee possible in your cup. Come visit us at either of our Anchorage cafes or online at steamdot.com. We're back with ADN Politics, and I'm talking to reporters Emily Goody Koontz and Zachariah Hughes about the fallout from this week's Anchorage election. Zach, so as I've mentioned, you spent some time calling folks across the political spectrum and also listening to some reactions this week on talk radio. Uh, what are some of your takeaways? Well, Wednesday morning, a lot of the 
conservative talk radio hosts that I was tuning into, you know, uh, were kind of licking their wounds. I mean, it was said outright, you know, this is, these results are disappointing. It's frustrating. Some of the themes I heard, uh, you know, interestingly, former municipal manager and former assembly person, Amy Domboski, has a radio show. And, you know, she's a pretty astute observer of city government, having worked in different branches of it. And one of the points that she really hit on was that, you know, the Republican state party, the Alaska GOP, is not organized very well to support candidates in local assembly races. It doesn't have much of a ground game. It doesn't really get involved to the same degree that the Alaska Democratic Party and some of the union groups do. I heard a similar criticism, you know, coming from another conservative commentator, Suzanne Downing, the publisher of Must Read Alaska, that said, you know, we got outplayed and outorganized that, you know, the candidates that won have campaign managers who are you know, better boots on the ground are a little bit more organized. Um, the union groups really kind of line up behind their candidates. And then everybody seems to agree that this is, again, a referendum on Mayor Dave Bronson's, you know, administration and that the mayor is not widely popular. And you can disagree about why that is. I have heard conservative commentators say it's because the media is biased and the mayor is dragged through the mud. I've heard other people say it's because the administration has so many scandals and other people have said it's because the snow was not removed in a timely way. So, you know, regardless of whether the blame is fair, there is a sense that the mayor is kind of um, a, a large character in these elections and that his unpopularity or negative perceptions really made it easier for candidates who were not aligned with him and who promised to be a check on him, along with the existing assembly majority, that that worked in their favor. Emily, anything to add there? I actually think that the snowplow issue played in quite a bit to the election. It's one of the issues candidates were hearing about at the doors when they're they're going around knocking on doors and talking directly to voters. And there was a lot of frustration with the administration and the way that it handled road plowing this winter. We saw huge road plowing delays, snow plowing, and also some very heavy snowfalls. And uh, people are frustrated. And I think that, you know, the mayor, the administration is in charge of that kind of across the board. Administrations get blamed for things going wrong with basic city functioning like snow plowing. And we did see the administration make some, you know, mistakes in planning and preparing for the winter. So they're definitely uh, feeling the blame on that. Emily, I want to turn to the resignation that was announced the day after the election. Uh, do we know at this point why Adam Trombley, the mayor's chief of staff, resigned? We don't know. It was certainly interesting timing that was announced the day after the election. We do know that Trombley was viewed by a lot of assembly members as one of the mayor's most experienced, capable staff members. And, you know, there's a lot of concern about him leaving, especially now. And we also know that he did work well with the assembly. You know, a lot of members had respect for him found him to be very communicative and willing to share information and uh, work together on projects. So one of his projects failed recently, was voted down by the assembly over concerns with the administration's ability to pull it off because it actually has several high-level vacancies. And assembly members speculate whether or not, you know, that played into his departure as that was a really big piece of his work. And that would be the Holton Hills project in Girdwood, this big housing development that he tried to push through and didn't quite work out. 
Correct. You know, it became kind of a flashpoint issue. There's a lot of pushback from the community, but there was also, you know, housing crisis in that community. And um, this was a project that the assembly and the administration had worked on together. And Adam Trombley was the point person on that. And so to see that project fail was a, a big blow. Can you tell us a little bit about Mario Bird, who's replacing Trombley as chief of staff? Mario Bird is a longtime Alaska attorney, and he has a history supporting right-wing causes. He's a conservative who Bronson appointed as originally appointed as municipal attorney last June after former municipal attorney Patrick Burke resigned. And uh, the assembly did not confirm Mario Byrd, but Byrd went to work for the mayor's office as kind of a special assistant uh, senior policy director. After the former deputy chief of staff resigned a couple months ago, Byrd took on some work with boards and commissions, filling vacancies, getting them, you know, up and running, getting meetings going. And the assembly, surprisingly, has had so far a good experience working with him. You know, they were pleasantly surprised by this. They said he's been very professional, very communicative, and really just there to get the work done. And that's been appreciated so far. So in talking to assembly members yesterday who have had some experience working with him, They're fine and pleased with his um, interim appointment. But again, there's concern because, you know, he does not have the experience in municipal government that Trombley had. Trombley was a former assembly member. And, you know, he had a lot of experience working just at the department level. He oversaw economic and community development before he became chief of staff. And so, Mario Bird is the fifth chief of staff we've seen of Mayor Bronson. There's concern about how much turnover there is at the executive level because it really slows down city projects, according to assembly members, because people just have to get up to speed every time someone switches out. So stepping back a bit, what is next for city politics? Mayor Bronson is about two-thirds of the way through his first term. The assembly is going to have a lot of new faces pretty soon. I'm curious what you two are keeping an eye out for. Uh, Zach, let's start with you. Well, at the assembly level, I mean, we're going to have five new people, and all of them are going to have to learn how the assembly works. You know, on top of that, there's a pretty, I mean, a couple other people on the body that are just a year to serving there. And my general rule of thumb is that it usually takes about 18 months for people to become full assembly members. You know, like they know how the job works. They know how resolutions, ordinances work. They have committee assignments. So we just have a really new assembly that's going to be looking to leadership and looking to some of the senior members to get up to speed. So I know that sounds kind of like a contradiction, but because it's going to be so new, I think it's going to consolidate a little bit of control and authority among the people that have been there for a little bit longer. So that's the internal dynamic. And, you know, how they relate to the mayor, I think, remains to be seen. This is the second election in a row that that has not gone Mayor Bronson's way. Whether that leads him to softening and making overtures to work a little bit more closely with the assembly, I think, remains to be seen. Certainly, I think that given the composition of the assembly, they are going to remain a check on uh, his administration with enough of a majority to override vetoes handily. And then we have an election coming up. You know, a mayoral election. uh, Yeah, the mayor's race is next April. And so people are planning to announce uh, later this year, we'll see people positioning. And then that'll take up a lot of the oxygen in local politics. Emily, what about you? 
Yeah, I will definitely be watching for all of those things. And I think that, you know, we saw a lot of the assembly candidates really say to voters that they're going to focus on moving the city forward. So I'm going to be interested in how they continue to move forward with the assembly's inquiries into allegations made against the Bronson administration by former member Amy Domboski, looking into the hiring of former health department director Joe DeRace, who fabricated and lied about details on his resumes, and and a number of other problems, how they're going to work with the mayor on pressing city issues. And if we're going to see a uh, leaving behind of some of the bitterness and just focusing on um, what can we do now, here's where we're at, where do we need to go? One of the big things with that is homelessness. You know, on April 30th, our emergency winter shelters are scheduled to close at this point. That's when funding ends. And there's around... 500 to 700 people using those. So that's going to be an issue directly before the new assembly. It's a big, pressing citywide issue. Well, let's end there for today. Emily and Zach, thank you as always for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to ADN Politics. You can subscribe to the show in whichever podcast app you're listening to right now. You can keep up with the rest of our coverage on ADN.com. And you can subscribe to ADN there, which is the best way to support our work, including this show. Thanks to our guests today, ADN reporters Emily Goodykunst and Zachariah Hughes. This episode was produced with help from Zachariah Hughes and Evan Phillips. Our music is by Evan Phillips. David Hewlin is our editor. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. See you next week. Thanks for listening. This episode of ADN Politics was brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible.